Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. We see you. You're a colleague. You're a partner. You're a friend. You're always here to support your family and your community. Now there's a school ready to support you. National University offers tuition discounts for military spouses and free tutoring so you get the support you need to succeed. National University, supporting the whole you. This is Penn Sunday School, and to our listening ears, all angels sings and round us rings the music of the sea. Here we go. Sisters, siblings, and Winter Wiatkowski. Welcome to Penn Sunday School, starring Penn Gillette. My name is Michael Snow. Ben, Matt, Freddie Rich, and I are broadcasting from our separate homes in Las Vegas. This week, Penn has started studying the Tarbell course in magic. Matt has a full us recap, and Moxie and Penn went out into the real world again for the first time in a year. Here he is preaching love, Mr. Penn Gillette. Yeah, preaching love. And, you know, there is there is light at the end of the tunnel. I had an amazing thing happen. You know, Moxie is stage managing uh, a show at her school. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, they, it's not our town or the stage manager's the big part. Mox <laughs> is actually stage manager. And they're doing something rotten. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Broadway show. Great show. And the school is 45 minutes away from our house. So I drive Mox to the theater, leave her off, drive home, three hours, drive back, drive home. You know, suburban parent life, it is three hours a day I spend getting Mox to stage manage the show and get back. And uh, Emily, because she's two jabs in two weeks, went to hang out with the Pitchfords in Malibu and Party Hardy, which is not what I do. So uh, she's there doing that. And I'm here in charge of the children. So I'm doing all the ferrying mm-hmm. back and forth, which I love. I love the time in the car alone. Yeah. And I love the time with Mox. So Friday was going to be my last food before the fast going into my colonoscopy tomorrow. So Mox said, why don't you pick me up? We'll go to Container Park, you know, the thing, the yep. Tony Park downtown yeah. with the giant praying mantis yeah. made of metal, and we'll have supper there together. Wow. So I told Z and his grandma, you guys fend for yourself here. Fuck it. You're on your own. Mox and I are going out to supper. Mm. Whoa. Wow. So I picked Mox up at the theater. We drove five minutes to Container Park. Get this, Mox and I were able to figure out downtown Vegas parking. <laughs> That's not easy. Is there an app? We did it. <laughs> there is an app. There is. It's hard. 
That's what I thought. <laughs> and we went to a uh, Mexican place that was called Real Mexican Food by Real Mexicans, which I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had vegan options. And we waited in line with our masks on for a good length of time, got our food, then went outside and sat with nobody around us, breeze blowing, people walking around, all wearing masks, and us chowing down. He had French fries, asada, asada fries. Oh, nice. Yeah. Some mox head. <laughs> and I had some, you know, vegan taco jive and chowing down. And then afterwards, we went to a candy store. Uh, now, in the candy store, there was a drunk woman with her mask down on her chin, <laughs> pontificating <laughs> about candy. So, Mox and I grabbed our candy and went outside. I said to the cashier, we're going to wait outside. We'll be back in to pay. Then I went over and sat down. And Moxie said, you can't take, you can't take the, you haven't paid for that. You can't. I said, I'm going to go back in and pay. He said, well, they'll be worried. They'll be, I said, they're not going to worry. They'll, I have a trustworthy face. I'll be back in to pay. <laughs> so we waited for a long while for the drunk woman to come out. I also gave it another few seconds for the air to recirculate. <laughs> we went in. Mox got some warheads. He bought something for Z. And then I got a box of good and plenty. Whoa. Because I'm eating, eating what I want. And I think good and plenty are vegan, although some of the gum in there might have an animal base. Yeah. I got to check. I with- think the plenty is hooves. <laughs> there's good, but there's also plenty. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that. I'll find out and won't have them again. But uh, we went to the car, we drove home, and I was eating, because I was getting ready for this fast, I was eating the good, good and plenties. And Mox informed me that good and plenties are the quintessential dad candy. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I don't tell dad jokes. <laughs> She said, no, mom does that. I said, I know, but I don't. <laughs> and I don't really have a dad body, so I guess I can eat dad candy, right? Yeah. But as soon as she said it, I really thought, yeah, couldn't <laughs> plenty are really a dad candy. I, yeah, I definitely didn't like it when I was a kid. Did you like them when you were younger? What's your favorite candy now, Matt Donnelly? Oh, I don't know. I hardly ever eat candy. I, I was I, something with chocolate or whatever. So, like, if there's a, my favorite is Neckos. I love Neckos. Neckos. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Neckos are just shingles for gingerbread homes. I don't know what you're talking about eating them. <laughs> I love them. I got cases of. Nobody them. eats them. them. They're just shingles. <laughs> They've been around since the Civil War. Yeah, yeah. They're made as a treat because they keep really well. 100 years doesn't bother them. And they're just, I love Neckos. And Neckos has to be real old fashioned dad candy. That, that's really old fashioned for sure. What's your favorite candy, Goodo? Mm, I'm a dark chocolate guy. So I like the new dark chocolate Mars. Well, yeah. I put dark chocolate in a different category because it has to be special to be a vegan. And the new dark chocolate uh, peanut butter cups also. Really but good. But neither of those are vegan. The, well, the, yeah, I know the peanuts are raised in inhumane conditions. 
<laughs> and during the Civil War, they were goober peas. They weren't even called peanuts. What's your favorite candy, Ready? Are we talking currently or nostalgia? Uh, either one. Currently is Ritter Sport chocolate. Uh, and nostalgia is chuckles and bit of honey. Chuckles and bit of honey. Yeah. But I've pretty much lost all sugar at this point. Mm-hmm. I just don't have any. But Sir Moxie, Sir Moxie likes his warheads. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Warheads are good. Warheads are pretty good. He's, uh, he's crazy for the warheads. <laughs> There's like a cinnamon version of them. I think I liked as a kid. Whatever kind of cinnamon candy there was, I liked those. You know, this week, uh, the uh, the group of people that I normally play croquet with, Mac King and company, uh, we are all double vaxxed. We played croquet last night. In Mac's backyard. Wow. As a group, un- unmasked. What was that like? Well, I, I lost all my croquet skill is what I've discovered. <laughs> I, I was beaten. I didn't get halfway through the course when Mac was done. <laughs> I'm so sad that I don't get invited ever. You will be invited. <laughs> if you want to come and play croquet with us, you are welcome to do so, and we would be honored to have you. And I will, I will also point out that I fuck up Mox's pronouns. Mox yeah. prefers he, and I said hers in there a couple times, and we can edit that if you want or leave it. You're a but, dad. Uh, I try. <laughs> I try. Dad can be bad pronouns. But you know, the guy who plays Flash uh, in Justice League? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the actor who plays Flash? Uh, their preferred pronouns is they and them. But in the Wikipedia page, uh, their point of view was, I answered any pronouns. And I really like that. <laughs> that is a solution I hadn't heard before. He said, he, she, them, I'm fine with so all of them. Either end of the scale, you can be Siegfried, I am Siegfried, or I'm anybody. <laughs> yeah. Either of those will work. I'm okay with all that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. But I want to make sure that I, I'm respectful to Mox because he should be called whatever he wants to be called. Yeah. Yes. Although it would be a lot easier if uh, Z would flip his pronouns too, so he would still have that distinction easily on which goddamn child we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but their grandmother... Not only fucks up the pronouns, the grandmother fucks up the proper nouns. <laughs> she called Moxie by her other grandmother's, by her other grandchild's name. <laughs> At least most of the time, I get the proper nouns. <laughs> pronouns sometimes fuck up. <laughs> but uh, Moxie, he knows. That's what I'm going to do now. Moxie, he knows. So I sound Spanish. It's not Italian. <laughs> My dad, he knows. I think Moxie never doubts my heart is in the right place. Right. He also knows that I'm stupid as soil samples. (laughs) (laughs) Full of well-meaning bacteria. (laughs) I do like Neckos. And I shudder to think that Neckos are not quite fully vegan. Hmm. They have a little bit of some sort of uh, adhesive, which saddens me. Because, <laughs> boy, I like that chalky taste. Well, you know, my my taste in candy yeah. is rather spartan. 
Yeah, you like yeah. that bone candy stuff. That that sponge bone candy, I love. Uh, I love uh, Good and Plenty. Where are you on Smarties? I love uh, no, <laughs> no. That seems like the the closest hedge. Sweet tarts? No. Mm-hmm. I'll sometimes go to uh, Valentine's Day hearts. Yeah, yeah. Those are chalky. I like a little bit of <laughs> chalky feel to my to my candy. Um, Smarties are as chalky as I get. You know, I used to like a Snickers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't mind to be back in my non-vegan days. I didn't mind a uh, uh, Whopper or Milk yeah. Duds. Right. Yeah, yeah. Milk Duds. I lost a couple of uh, caps of my teeth. I've had the most expensive box of Milk Duds anyone's ever had. <laughs> I do not believe that's true. <laughs> I will bet right now that Ava Gabor has had a more expensive box of milk duds. Again. <laughs> All right. All right. We had someone write in, I should just say this. Uh, Christian points out that the Beach Boys sing, If Everybody Had a Notion Across the USA. And everybody be surfing like California. It's not if everybody had an ocean. <laughs> but can you say that a little slower so that it's clear? <laughs> an ocean and an ocean are absolutely <laughs> indistinguishable. <laughs> yes. But but is if everybody had an ocean. Yeah. A body of water. By the way, notion is no better. Brian, <laughs> if everybody had a notion, I feel like I want to go serve. Yeah, fuck you. Either way, either way, you're a dipshit. If that were the sentence, it would be the notion, not a notion. There you go. He's right. All right. Yeah. Once again, I'm up on Cripple Creek. I don't have to speak. He defends me. <laughs> Ready's good guy that way. Of course. If everybody had the notion, it would be better with the notion, wouldn't it? We can fix it. Be a better song. <laughs> Ben's lyrics repair. <laughs> I have been um, chronicling my study of Spanish so carefully. I have now studied Spanish Spanish for two hundred and one half hours. Mm. I believe I'm a third of the way. To being able to converse with somebody. Wow. Are you starting to find you're, you're enjoying your, your chats with Hondra more with your Spanish knowledge? Very much. Hondra and I had a blast. And uh, we also speak our own kind of Hondro pen um, Spanglish. Yeah. And my teacher, Amy, is the best. I got to tell you, I don't know if she gives language lessons to everybody, but if you needed a tutor, uh, wow. Uh, she's in, um, now I want to change everybody's pronoun. I say she, and I tremble like I used to with the word girl. I got the fear of Jesus in my heart, the word she. One way I try to solve it is trying to eliminate pronouns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By just putting the noun in there every time. So I picked Moxie up, and Moxie and I went, Moxie-like, but, you know, do it that way, solve it that way. But I wish someone would just give us a pronoun everybody could use and be done with it. Yeah. But that's something you have to wait for society to decide on. (laughs) 
We can't just vote on it today and have it work, huh? All right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Starbell course and magic. You're on seven? You're on seven, ready? Oh, I just pulled one at random. You know, the um, Tarbell, uh, Harlan Tarbell, in 1929, started a mail-order course in magic. He wrote it. He also did all the illustrations. It was a fabulous, fabulous course. And then he put it in book form and ended up doing eight volumes, or somebody else did a few of the later volumes. And everybody magic talks about Tarbell, and everybody goes to magic with Tarbell. They look up something in the index to find something. But I decided a few months ago to start reading all of Tarbell all the way through. You're not really saying that right. Because what everybody does is they, it's their first major purchase at the magic shop. And then they never strip the cellophane off of it and never read it. <laughs> is that really true? Yeah. Can you find used ones for inexpensive? Yeah. If it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't have like corners, if it looks like this, you're doing it wrong. You're not doing Tarbell right. What book is that? I don't know. Let's see. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's Teller's book. <laughs> yeah. I, I write and everything. And, um, so I said to Teller, I'm going to read all of Tarbell. And he said to Teller, where do I get them? And Teller said, you don't get them. Never mind. And then a few weeks later, uh, I went to work with Teller. He said, come out to my car. He opened the trunk, and he handed me pristine, shrink-wrapped, all new, all eight volumes. First one was out of the shrink wrap, and on the first page was an inscription. Two pen from Teller with such nice words about our partnership. And uh, so I finished volume one. I have seven more to go. And boy, they're really good. I mean, crazy good. I mean, for someone to have written something that complete about magic, it's, and I believe, don't you think, Reddy, that maybe not every trick, but certainly one of every three tricks you could perform as a good performer, perform well, and get a good reaction from an audience? Well, I was looking through this one, just skimming through it during the last episode, and I noticed that there's one trick in here that I'd forgotten that I knew, and I had relearned from watching Banachek do it, thinking it was Banachek's trick. <laughs> I said one, one out of five for sure. Maybe one out of three? It's amazing. And amazing. And only one out of three or five because there's three ways to do the same trick, you know, so you couldn't do all of them. But uh, so good. And there's so much to learn, so many thoughts. What made you, as someone who's already been doing magic for as long as you have, want to read Tarbell now? Because I am not as educated in magic as I should be. Right. And I try to read more magic books. I, I can't do the thing that Teller does. You know, Teller reads magic books two or three hours a day. Yeah. He has, he has one of the most extensive libraries in the world, and he uses it. And what I love about Teller, love about Teller, is Teller reads a book that cost him $2,800, an antique book. He reads with a pencil in hand, underlies circles, writes in the margins. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he believes in using books. He yeah. really uses books. And everything on his shelf has those little um, stickers. Yeah, stickers, yeah. That stick out. <laughs> Post-it. Tell you what page you want to open to. Yeah. Not post-its. There's a special thing just for that. Right. That you can put like a bunch of them in. And there's notes through everything. And little tabs. Tabs. It's just, he really uses books properly. He really learns. It's, uh, it's fabulous. Um, and uh, I want to learn all of Tarbell. Are you, are you trying the tricks or just reading well, them? Well, I, I read with the props kind of in my hand, mm -hmm. but I decided not to learn every trick in the book. Because if I did that, it would take me, you know, I've been learning hippie hop rabbits on my deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm too old to do that. Mm -hmm. But boy, I think a young person wanting to get into magic, if they actually did at least once every trick in Tarbell, they would come out knowing everything. Now, you've known about this book for a long, long time. What was the... Yeah, the inscription wasn't about damn time. <laughs> <laughs> or the fact that it wasn't about damn time is what you mean is so nice of Teller to have written. <laughs> That's what I meant. What was Teller's... Like, I'm so curious what Teller must have felt were like, you're like as someone who reads magic books every day where you finally said i think i'm gonna read tarbell he must have been like, i don't know if was it like finally or like <laughs> you don't say or you know it's like that sounds pretty great he, he was just completely supportive there was nothing negative at all <laughs> by the way matt king has started too oh good and piff uh oh now we're gonna have to go out and get it <laughs> Man, I just got the Tommy Wonder book and the Juan Tamariz books. Where, where, where do I? I got. How do I? How do I keep up? It's really hard. It's uh, it's really fun. The first two long chapters of Tarbell are about Tarbell's religious beliefs, mm -hmm. and Zoroastrianism, <laughs> and Jesus Christ, and that's where it's really funny. And then he gets to the tricks. Ancient Persian <laughs> religion, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the more sensitive among us, I should give you trigger warnings. He he's it's you know it's written in 1929. Yeah. So it's all lady from the audience, ask the young lady, and you know he um, he doesn't use the word Asian. Ah. Uh, he doesn't use person of Asian descent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's that. You know. There's that. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to perform those tricks now, maybe make a couple of adjustments is what you're saying. <laughs> Some of the pattern, yeah. <laughs> and the chapter on minstrel shows. Is there one, really? No. <laughs> but he does say, I learned this next trick from a Chinaman. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to want to go out with that now. No. <laughs> no. Or maybe you do. I don't know, but I don't. So, like, that's the thing, right? So magic, like, Initially, you get to say, like, I learned this in the Orient, and it's supposed to bring a great deal of mystery and that kind of mood to a trick, right? Yes. Those unscrutable Chinese men yeah, know yeah. where they come up those with those. crazy Asian cultures have different <laughs> ways. How do you do that now without, you know, we don't have these mysterious places on the earth anymore, you know? And that's really what you're going for. It's not to be offensive to them, which, I mean, now it certainly does read as offensive. You come out and say... At the last meeting of QAnon, <laughs> uh, 
a man came to me and said, I have this great wonder that no one else believes in. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going to take, we're going to take 500 ballots and 300 (laughs) ballots and the 300 will be greater than the 500. (laughs) Now what they say is I used to help a gambler cheat. Yep. That is. Oh yeah. 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 In the (laughs) underground gambling. Areas of town, yeah, yeah. When Teller was 12, and he did his magic show, during which he was pelted with candies from Cub Scouts who hated him, (laughs) he came out in Asian robes with a mustache. No. And said, I was walking in my garden in China. (laughs) In the second century. When I rubbed the stone and suddenly have appeared here to bring my wonders. <laughs> and they threw shit out. <laughs> but that was the opening of Teller's Act. <laughs> I mean, we all now. He was actually an ancient Chinese man. We now know very quite clearly Teller's solution to not doing bad magic batter. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a good one. (laughs) One that we can recommend to many, many beginning magicians could benefit from (laughs) that advice. One of those pieces of candy struck him was like, I should just shut up with this (laughs) stuff. We see you. You're a colleague. You're a partner. You're a friend. You're always here to support your family and your community. Now there's a school ready to support you. National University offers tuition discounts for military spouses and free tutoring, so you get the support you need to succeed. National University, supporting the whole you. So we are going to now go into something we really don't know about. Yeah. We're going to talk about NFTs. Okay. No one knows anything about it. (laughs) Non-fungible tokens. Yeah. You know about these? A little bit. It's still very confusing. You know that they sold a painting? Yeah. For $69 Yeah. Yeah. We're going to start doing them. Uh, This company, um, ETH, Ethereum, Ethereum blockchain. Right, yeah, Ethereum, yeah. They'll be minting it. Yeah. And we're going to go through, uh, there's another company here I want to see. It'll be available on April 1st on OpenSea, OpenSea.io, OpenSea, O-P-E-N-S-E-A dot I-O. And these fungible tokens, I've already seen them. Uh, they're, they're pretty great. And here's the deal. They are actually unique. What, what? We have an ombudsman in the room. Penn is listening to his ombudsman. <laughs> yeah, I've been busted right now. Ethereum is the coin. It's not the company. It's OpenSea. That's the company. Okay. It's worse than Glenn. <laughs> you know, for my train of thought, this is worse than Glenn because someone actually walks in the room with me. Can I just say that I feel much more comfortable talking about the racist chapters of Tarbell <laughs> than I do NFTs? <laughs> Well, here's the problem uh, with the internet. There's only one. <laughs> and that is that everybody can have everything. Yeah. 
Now, it used to be that when you came over my house, uh, I would play you music. And I had stuff like the resident Santa dog. I had the Stones Cocksucker Blues. I had the Springsteen original Born to Run with Strings. Mm-hmm. Pinky the Cat. I had the Dylan Blood of the Track sessions. And you would sit, you know, in my room, and I would pull out these records carefully and put them on. And if you loved that record and wanted to hear that record again, you had to sniff around record stores or go to Goldmine. And I had a great deal of pleasure in that I had these records. I had the song poem records. I had all this stuff. And then with MP3s, everybody has everything. So I used to have a videotape of Lenny Bruce that I showed friends that now is available instantly on YouTube. Right. That is wonderful. All that stuff becoming democracy. But when I dated Debbie Harry, and I would go over her apartment, when you first walked in, there was a huge uh, painting of Debbie Harry done by Andy Warhol. And it was huge, and it was beautiful, and I'd seen that painting my, you know, my entire adult life. Andy Warhol had painted Debbie Harry, and we all knew it, and all of you can type in Andy Warhol, Debbie Harry right now and see that, yeah. and see that in high quality. And if you wanted to take a Polaroid, you know, the new Polaroid method yeah. <laughs> of scanning that and blow it up, you get the textures and everything. It would be indistinguishable from the one in Debbie Harry's house. But the one in Debbie Harry's house is the one that Warhol made. Now, Warhol is a very bad example because Warhol had a factory. He had people working for him, and they would actually do the silk screening, and then it would still be an original Andy Warhol because he said it was. Right. We also know that Rembrandt had students that painted stuff that he signed. Now, what NFT is trying to do, and I don't know, this could be tulip bulbs. This could be total bullshit. It could be totally vapor. I don't know. They have found a way with blockchain to authenticate something as one of a kind. Absolutely one of a kind. Now, the copy that the person has of that painting that they paid $69 million for is easier to verify and as unique as the Mona Lisa. There's no argument about that. Now, if you say blockchain stuff is bullshit, then you've got to say, why isn't the Rembrandt original bullshit when we have a copy that looks just like it? I mean, they have scanned Vermeer's at unbelievable scansion. And I believe it would be a lot of work to tell the difference. Certainly, you couldn't tell it walking by. So, if you want to have a blockchain uh, NFT, it is unique. I was talking to Glenn, and Glenn collects all this stuff that's um, advertisements and like theater tents for Vic Damone and Vicky Carr at the Latin Casino. He owns that. 
Now, he also has JPEGs of all these. What I told him is having the actual item, does that mean something to you? And he said, yes. Yeah. So, having something that is actually branded by the people. When we do these blockchain things, which will be at OpenSea, and it'll be April 1st, we'll be doing, let me see what we're going to be doing. They're going to be doing a lot of stuff, collaborating with Bullpunk, Creative Studio, and the NFT space, create and mint 100 magic cards for the community. Our project differs from your traditional NFTs because it'll have a lot of unique mechanisms, such as puzzles and code words that allow people to trade and play with one another to win a one-of-one special card, prizes, and tickets to a Penn and Teller show. So if you want more information, you can learn more at bullpunk.com. That's B-U-L-L-P-U-N-K dot com. Now, Teller and I have been talking, and in the future, if this thing starts rolling, and it's going to be really one-of-a-kind stuff, we might start giving away magic tricks. We might start doing really cool shit on this. I don't know what we're going to do. But these first ones, I've looked at them, and they're really nice. They're really fun. Yeah, I, I you know, following as much as I can, uh, I don't. I think I'm past the point where, like, yeah, I think the idea of, like, saying you own something and, that, and, then, and then there being one unique ID for that particular thing on the internet, that part is great. And I do think that means something. I think where it's, it's making people really dismissive is simply the skyrocketing values of them, right? It's hard to see the, I guess we see like a Rembrandt as retaining value, right? Or the or or, or these things as retaining value, and so to have like the picture of the first tweet and having the NFT of that tweet, I I guess I guess my old brain is trying to see down the line where I still want to pay that much money for it or even more so later, um, and maybe I'm just too too close to it to see it. They had that exact, that exact issue, the exact issue with Andy Warhol. Right. Because when Andy Warhol first started doing the factory, people said, anyone can do these soup cans. Why do I want a soup can? And I think you'll see that Warhol did retain its value. Right. Yeah. Okay. I understand it in art. I'm confused by the sports versions. You know, do I own, I own a moment from a basketball game? Is that is that how that works? Well, you own a trading card. It's a trading card of a basket. You know, it's a trading card. Yeah. You know, it's a token. So trading cards certainly held their value. Yeah. Not all of them. If I were a sports person, I'd give you a joke for someone that didn't hold their value. Matt, why don't you give me that? <laughs> you mean a Brian Scalabrini second year at the Boston Celtics? <laughs> yeah that didn't hold its value <laughs> no i yeah I, I that's the thing it's like i i, I think it's more I, I love the idea i think like what you just described beautifully is the idea that we want to we are living in the era of the internet that was the best description i've ever heard uh that's the most yeah uh understandable blockchaining the idea of making things on the internet singular and authentic has been a fascinating concept across the board and i think that it's going outside of currency of you know like of of different crypto coins to other items is a really neat achievement and because it, it it really does answer the the weirdness of the internet you know like uh 
when I when I digitized all of my music from CDs to my laptop, and that laptop was stolen, uh, and it didn't at the time we didn't have easy backup to cloud stuff. I completely lost my personal handle on my music forever. I've never recovered from that, and it's like a really weird thing. And so, uh, the idea of like being able to curate to possess things from my life. That's what we're talking about. Like when you still have signed ticket stubs from concerts you attended and other people want to buy that ticket stub because they either attended it or they like having stuff from that era. Like what we're really trying to do is hold on to pieces of our, hold on to pieces of our lives. And the internet is our life. And the question is, will emotionally, will we move over? Right. And I come back, I come back to Warhol. I believe the Campbell soup can done in Warhol's factory right. with Warhol's blessing is a Warhol. Yeah. I do. Now, do I believe, you know, I'm looking forward. First, we're doing just like trading card stuff. But I'm looking forward when Teller and I actually create stuff because we think that we may be able to sell stuff that the person that buys it will never show. Right. I mean, there's a thing that's interesting. We go into a deal with the person, right? Because with a secret, we haven't done this yet. We don't know if we're going to do it. But with a secret, the person who buys it might want to keep it secret too. So there could actually be a secret that has real value that's being held. And I love that idea. There's something so sexy about that. Well, that makes that makes a ton of sense. You want to know how one of our tricks is done? Here's how it's done. Keep it to yourself. That makes a ton of sense. So, like, here's an example. Like, so, like, I, if I was with the person who bought the New York Times column where they made an NFT of a particular column on NFTs as an NFT and they sold it for 800 grand, right? Uh, so if I own that, how am I participating? I guess that's, that's, that's what we're all trying to figure out is how, like, if I have a Warhol on my wall, I get it. If I play this record for you, I get it. How do I uh, indulge my my close friends and my my friends with this with this NFT column? Yeah, that's a tough one. It makes real sense with the magic secret. Yeah, yes. it does. You invite your three special friends over and say, "Let's watch this video that no one else will ever see." Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, including including Penn and Teller. Because we'll delete everything. Right. It's yours. We'd really, I mean, that's what I'm thinking of for the way future. If this thing isn't just tulip bulbs, you know? Yeah. Right, right, right. We got to see. If people buy these ones we put on an open sea and they enjoy them and they're traded and there's, you know, it really is real, then I want to jump in and do more stuff because then it becomes an art form I want to work in. Right now, I'm just like everybody else. I'm just trying to learn. But I'll tell you, all I picture is that Debbie Harry uh, Warhol? Yeah. Well, I, I also look back. Would I like to have that Debbie, that Debbie Harry Warhol? Yes, I would. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. I look back and like, uh, you know, there's for a while there was a, a a website that maintained like the internet from the 90s, you know, whatever. And it's crazy, like how different the internet looked uh, back then. And I remember like my comedy group's first website, you know, and like how it was like this gigantic. Old, colorful swirling logo that you had to click on things and it had sound effects when your mouse crossed over it and all this other stuff that we thought was the coolest thing ever that there's simply no place for 
uh, on the way we access the internet now. Yeah, I would love to. F- I, if I still had a way to have that owned and curated, so if someone came by, I'm like, and it would be fun. Be like, have you? I'll show you my '90s website. It's gonna blow your. It's gonna trip you out. Like I could see that happening. Well, Tim Tim Jennison collects old computers. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, that's really cool to see too. Yeah, uh, you know the museums of that would be great. So I don't know. So does he does he have the operating systems functioning on them? Uh, most of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's interesting. That's an- So anyway, if you want to go to bullpunk.com, B-U-L-L-P-U-N-K.com, see what we're doing with OpenSea, uh, we're going to mint 100 of these magic cards to start, and there'll be puzzles and tricks right in them. So uh might be something you're into, might not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I believe, I don't know the pricing yet, but I believe it's less than $69 million. <laughs> Right. So we're not coming to the top of the market. Can I give you a check? <laughs> yeah, a check is a good example. Right. Checks don't mean anything either. Yep. Money used to mean something. It's all in agreement. Now it's a check. It's exactly, if you believe in a check, you believe in Bitcoin. End of argument. Right. <laughs> a check is just sloppier, right. less secure Bitcoin. Yep. Nothing else. Let's hear about Fool Us. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, uh, you, you did a television show. Because <laughs> I am itching to get to my colonoscopy prep. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> itching is a bad sign, I think. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'll go. I'll do my favorite thing in going backwards. So your fourth performer was uh, Makato Halverson, who's a street performer doing his very first appearance on Fool Us, um, where he had Allison come over and had her pick random cards, and he kept turning every card she selected into the three of clubs. Uh-huh. And one of the strangest things that happened is his pushback. I don't even know how to explain this. It seemed like you guys basically in your bust told him that he was doing really good sleight of hand, and he was trying to tell you that he was using a trick deck, and it was a really weird pushback. To be like, no, no, I, I'm not doing it the way you think it because I'm, I've used a trick deck. And that was a really strange moment. But uh, they had to go to the judges on that one, not a fooler. Um, that didn't stop this from being a two-fooler show. Oh, geez, yeah. But uh, then we had illusionist from Italy, Alberto Giorgi. He didn't fool you, but he uh, had really theatrical styling, you know, like of what well, I guess would be, might be a, a typical illusion box type of thing. But he, everything looked like kind of steampunky, and he had like this weird half-moon accordion thing, but he put her in a box, then poured her into some little box, and it was like, he looked like she was trapped inside a tiny box he was holding and waving, and then he brought her back out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... uh Yeah. It was a really nice version of a Steinmeier thing, I think. Yeah. Uh But then, let's get the last two here. Both of these guys are foolers, and both of them are really crazy good performances. One was a guy from the UK coming to win remotely, a guy named John Morton, who had you guys choose images from a children's book. Oh, was that good? Oh, was that good? Yeah. Oh, was that a good trick? Yeah, yeah. So, oh man. And um, when we found out how it was done, oh man, is it smart? Oh Jesus, that was a good trick. Yeah. So he he had you guys. Uh, There's a big image on the top and a bunch of images on below, and uh, he had you and Teller both, uh, you Allison and Teller and Teller mime say what the images were, and he could tell what page you were on in his children's book, and you knew that it was a code. And you said, but it might take weeks to know the code. And he said it would take you less than 30 seconds. Right. And is that true? 
That's what fooled us. It, yes. <laughs> um, less than 30 seconds by a lot. I, I got to tell you, I was like, I was hoping it was going to be one of those tricks where I was going to f- get an email the next day that it was for sale. Because uh, it seems like... <laughs> well, I think it's going to be. It's going to be for sale, isn't it? Okay, I'll keep an eye out for it. Check out his name, because he should be selling this. It's so good. John Morton? John Morton. And if you have a trick like this that you can just pull out and learn in 30 seconds, that's incredible. And This book, this book for amateur magician or professional magician would kill. And I'm telling you, you would... Get the book, hold it in your hand, read a sentence, and be able to perform it right then and kill. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, that's why I was like, is he selling it? Because it's such a great way to break up a show. Like, it's a great trick to throw in the middle of stuff because it's not cards. It's not, you know. He should be selling it's, it. It's, uh, he should be selling it's it. It's really good. And he was really clever and a very funny guy. It was a great trick. I loved him. And, and the last guy, this is a guy, you guys uh, are growing to love him because you, you, this guy, Fooled you so much you didn't you didn't know it for a year. Simon Cornell came back on the show. <laughs> oh, we love Simon Cornell. We love Simon. And he did a bill transposition into another bill uh, routine that was just fucking impossible. <laughs> I don't know what to tell <laughs> you. And he fooled you guys with poker chip routine that you thought was gimmicked, and then uh, you guys had to give him a uh, a foolish trophy after the fact in another episode, and then. Uh, the way he wrote it was like, hey, here's what I'm doing. You guys have to figure out where I'm doing it. <laughs> and he even skipped all the magic patter of saying, you know, when he turned a five into a, a 50, he's like, now I know, I, you know, I didn't make $45. I'm doing a magic trick, which I was like, oh. And he also, I believe, he also put in a fuck you to Handsome Jack, which <laughs> made it really good. He said, there's so many, there's so much knowledge about this one trick that someone even wrote a whole book about it. That someone is Handsome Jack, their friends, he didn't say his name. <laughs> I was wondering about that. I was like, that's Handsome Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, but if you can fool us and throw in a fuck you to Handsome Jack, that's, that's a great a good day. day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was, uh, I mean, it really was just so expertly performed. He was so casual. So much so that, like, I was talking to him backstage, and he was not even nervous to come out. Like, I literally was talking to him seconds before he walked out on that stage, uh, just clarifying a couple things for his interview. And he was just no problem at all, and then just comes out and does this, the impossible thing. Yeah. A really amazing. Simon has the goods. Simon always has the goods. Uh, and then you uh, brought Allison out and performed Pen and Tarot uh, with a tarot deck. Oh, yeah. That came out okay? Is that okay? That came out, yeah, it came out really, really cute, really fun. Uh, something like you should be, Good. you know, turn right around and just be doing on for Fallon or Corden or whoever, but it's a really great routine. Uh, yeah. You guys put out a bunch of tarot cards, one of which was the Foolish Trophy. There must was a bunch of performers, all of which who basically grossed out or turned on Allison. So it was a really nice touch. Um, and then uh, she picked the wrong card. She picked Piff. And you turn and you guys opened a fortune cookie. The fortune cookie predicted she would pick Piff. And then uh, you flipped over every other card, and every other card was the foolish trophy. It's pretty fun. Really sharp. Yeah, it was, it's a nice trick. And we originally wrote that as uh, a Halloween trick. They would all be death cards. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And we said, we could do that. We could do that for regular fool us. And then shooting in the middle of the pandemic, death <laughs> didn't seem funny. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so we changed it to full to, to trophy. That's a fun tidbit. Years and years ago, when I first moved to Vegas, your wife produced a little show uh, f- for me where I got to interview celebrities. We did tarot readings, yeah. Yeah, and we did tarot readings. And one of the things Teller did when I got to interview him is he walked right out, picked up a tarot card, made it disappear in his hand, and then re- reappear in his hand, and he put, put it right back down on top of the deck. No problem. And years later now, I'm just like, oh, man, tarot cards are not the same shape as regular cards. So anything you know how to do with regular cards, you can't just turn around and do with tarot cards. And to Teller didn't tell me he was going to do that. We weren't like, can you do a trick at the top? He just came out and did it casually. And looking back, I bet, I bet Teller was spending a couple hours doing that 100 times in the mirror before coming down and sitting down on that show. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And Teller also has a house with many different sizes of tarot cards and 150 different kinds of ribbon, because that's the kind of guy he is. But, you know, so anytime you see, like, really good sleight of hand being done with tarot, it's just it's like, ah, that's so, that's so much slicker, because that's not, that's not just there in your hands. They're also way thicker. It's not just the size. Yeah. The uh, yeah, they're, just totally, they're totally different cards. Yeah. So, uh, those kinds of things, you'll never get enough credit for them as a magician, but it's, it's really neat to see. <laughs> well, everybody go to uh, bullpunk.com. Try to understand these NFTs. Meanwhile, I'm going to take a huge amount of laxative. (laughs) Have a nice lunch. (laughs) (laughs) That was Ped Sunday School. That was Ped Sunday School. Cha-cha-cha. And to listening You become naked. Yeah, boy, that trick. He should sell that trick. Yeah. So good. You know we love you. What do you got to say, Matt? I want to thank the following patrons who help keep this show amazing. That's Dr. Scoop Little, Elon Lee, Eric Doble, Fractured Adventures, Grace, Jacob J. McCullough, Jamie Thrasher, Jake Schneider, Jeff Baker, Jeremiah Jenkins, Jeremy R. 22, Jesse Miller, Joseph Mastrangelo, Kelly Reeves, Larry Hess, Leah B., and Snotty. Making relevant jokes two months too late. I'll have the soup, <laughs> Kirill Fiaschowski. <laughs> That's the full name there. <laughs> Mark Smith, Matthew Rausch, Michael Cohen, Michael Cornwall, Michael Howard, Michael Kaplan, Music Man, Nate Soloway, and Nicole Martin. Thank you. Thank you all so much. This message comes from NPR sponsor Grammarly. Get to the point faster and accomplish more with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. And when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium, get 20% off for being an NPR listener. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcasts.